How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law, Thomas McCoy, and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. That was fantastic. Was, is that a new microphone that you have there, Mark? It's not, but if you remember, I normally lean into the microphone, but right now yeah. I have to sit absolutely still the entire show. So, Tom, could, could you introduce our guest for tonight? Oh, absolutely. He's the host of the YouTube web series Inside the Business of Acting. He's also an honored faculty member at Emerson College Los Angeles and Elon University in Los Angeles. And... He's recently published his entertainment industry survival guide, The New Business of Acting, How to Build a Career in a Changing Landscape, the next edition. Welcome, Los Angeles-based talent manager, educator, and author, Brad Lamack. Yeah. Welcome, Brad. How, it's so nice to have you here. Very excited to be asked. <laughs> Thank you. No, I really I appreciate the opportunity to... Um, connect and to chat thank you for letting me in so we're going to be chatting with brad lamack who is all about theater and management and i think that brad i think that we need to have full disclosure about this do you want to tell folks a little bit about how we met it was when? A, it was a dark and stormy night it was indeed <laughs> it actually you know you get past it i don't know you I, one gets past a certain age and dates are meaningless. Like I, I find myself not wanting to put numbers to things. But having said that, and without yes. owning up to any of it, um, it was the early 1970s. Uh, it was Boston, it was Cambridge, it was WGBH-TV specifically. There was this project happening in Studio A when they weren't filming the French Chef with Julia Child, they were doing this crazy idea of a kid show that no one ever heard of called Z like Zoom. Like, right. I don't know why they didn't wait to think maybe someone would do an online video platform with it a hundred years later. But so that was, yeah, that was happening in Studio A. And meanwhile, in tiny Studio B across the hall, there was a team of high school students from around the greater Boston area, the WGBH that had an open casting call, hundreds of people showed up from high schools, various students, various cities, and they selected a, a handful to be this team of kids who they would do another kind of experiment with. Um, they, they had what was really the first use of portable video equipment. And it was this huge, there were these huge, you know, we do it now on our phones, but there were this, this huge batch of equipment. They trained us how to use it. They told us that they thought that we had interesting stories to tell and to uncover from the community. And that at 15, 16 years old, they wanted to see what we would do with a half hour primetime television show. So we were given this time slot uh, weekly 
and we were given this equipment and we were given a, a, a senior a grown up producer who was mentoring us and we produced a show for a year every week live show we would take content we were content creators who knew that that's what it would become right we went out in the community and and the stories were all as unique as we were we all had voices coming from wherever we came from and it was a fascinating experience in just having that platform and recently i discovered in a garage cleaning pandemic project about 20 old videotapes and I've had them digitized and I'm, I've seen some, some of them have held up really well. And it's been so extraordinary for me to, to look at that 1972 Bradley Mack. What happened there? Well, I know what happened to him, but what happened to him? So it was a fascinating experience and, and, and you and I sort of bumped into each other in, in the hall between the two studios one day. And it was like, I was meeting somebody I already know. Right. Yeah. I felt the same way. It was like, it was like a brother that I had had yeah. some generations before. It was incredible. But it was an incredible show, really a unique show that you guys were doing. You know, our, our show was, was we, were, we were doing performance stuff and it was all kid-based, but, but you guys were really doing the production as well. We were doing everything. We were, we, were, we were on air, we were producing, we were writing, we were editing. And in 1972, I was um, the youngest reporter to cover the Republican National Convention in Miami. It was Nixon's uh, second run uh, to cover that. And I did my reporting for our, for our show. And it was, I mean, think about, I mean, just politics so different now, really, or maybe not so much, just treated differently. Um, but it was an extraordinary opportunity for a high school kid to get to wander a convention floor and, and be immersed in, in all of that. And it certainly, it, it ignited the flame in me for everything that's happened all these decades later, uh, because it opened my eyes to um, what I teach and talk about is that I don't have to wait for somebody to give me the opportunity. I have within me the ability to create opportunity on, on my own and for myself. And, and that's the greatest joy and the greatest reward. That's how it began. Yeah, yeah that's how it began. And I was going to ask, so, so how do you think those those early experiences influenced you? Because you've really just moved so far in your career. It's remarkable. Not, it, not, not that yeah. it was ever a surprise, remarkable, but... <laughs> no, no, but, no. I, well, you don't know that where you're headed, right? I mean, um, it, it, it was a difficult... Um, teenage high school years for me. Um, I was a, an odd child uh, from a, a, a challenged home and trying to find my, not so much my value, although maybe it was, but to find my place. And, 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 and that, those were the arts for me. And in the arts, I found something that I just was comfortable with, and it was a way for me to express myself and to feel validated in a way that I wasn't getting anywhere else, and to be immersed among that group of adult mentors at WGBH, and to be surrounded by you and the other kids doing Zoom. We were all doing different kinds of performance art, but we were all like-minded in just the joy of having the platform to move an idea 
forward. And so I realized all these decades later, my life has really been very much about storytelling. It doesn't matter whether I've been in that show, I went into broadcast news and public relations and working for Norman Lear and having my management PR company and teaching. It's all about storytelling and it's all about mentoring. Right? And, and, and I recognize the value of those services, that that kindness that, that was offered up to me. And I've seen how just, just the residual impact when you just can do something really selfless for somebody else, open the door for them, let them know, you know, I feel that's really good. Or give them uh, the boost that they need to move on to the next step. That's really been what, you know, all of this, all of this has been about. And then I've had a greater realization of in the COVID pandemic because, you know, we're all sort of insulated in our bubbles with a lot of time to think and reflect, really. So um, that's a long answer to a very short question. I mean, you have, you have spent your career navigating this remarkable field. And now we're in this world of COVID where there is so much, I, I think, danger not not just from COVID, but to, to, to theater, to acting, to performance. I mean, it is, you know, a world in which you're right next to each other. But go ahead, Brad. Where do we go with this? Where, where you see danger, I see opportunity. Wonderful. We will not have it be what it was. It may be quite some time, if ever again, that we will sit at big amphitheaters and small movie houses and be next to each other and have that shared community experience, right? Uh, but the, the role of the arts has taken on su such significance to us. First of all, it's important to recognize that out of challenging times historically have always come great stories, great art, great literature, great music, great poetry, right? And, and everyone will have a story to tell but not everyone's a storyteller. So we rely upon those um, artists among us to be able to use their voice, to find a shared voice for, for, for all of us. So that will happen. Um, and so we're not going to big venues, but we are returning to television, for example. You know, we've had decades of television ratings plummet. We've had a period of people, people, consumers, fleeing broadcast television to pay for streaming subscription services, seeking a better quality entertainment than they've been able to find before, right? So at the same time, do you want to go see a Broadway show and spend $300 a ticket, plus the parking, plus the, you know, do you want to go to the, the movie house at the mall where it's, I don't know about Marshfield, but down the street in Pasadena, it can be $18 for a ticket, plus to park, plus the $30 for the popcorn, plus, plus, plus. So we're seeing, and the numbers will prove this out eventually, I think they already have, a resurgence. People are rediscovering television. You know, there, there was not so long ago a conversation among those people about, you know, what will the future of television broadcast be? Will it be sports and political coverage and and, and, and debates and football games and holiday parades, um, because that was sort of 
the worry, it was leaning in that direction because the worry was that they couldn't compete with what Apple Plus was giving them and Hulu and, and Netflix, what they were offering up as, as content options to, to viewers. And then poof, March comes. And instead of running around all day and trying to be impressed with our busyness, we're at home. And we have to learn how to spend time with each other. And a lot of that time is spent with each other in front of television. And a lot of that time is spent learning how to reconnect, put this phone away, stop texting, stop texting, send an email, stop texting, call somebody and say hello, connect one-on-one, -on -one, like we used to do, right? Because we need it. There's a humanity in that that digitally can't be replicated. And so, again, it's a bigger, longer answer to a very simple question you asked me. It, it's, we're not really giving up anything. We're evolving so that we're able to, to seek and find entertainment that's more customized and specific to our demographic and our interests. That has created a thirst for content and people to create the content, actors, writers, producers, directors. Right? So there's huge opportunity for people to create this stuff, huge. Now, it'll be a little while before the, the need and the economy and the ability to get paid what you need to be paid for that work will level itself out, but, but it will. I, I'm just really excited about where we're headed. I'm also incredibly aware of those who have paid a price for this, you know, fault of their own. I have huge empathy for my friends who have lost their jobs and lost their ability to do what they love to do. <clears throat> but it's also been about reinvention and taking that a look about, okay, maybe the world has given me a chance to do something else that I really want to do. So I think I'm, I'm thinking a lot about all of this these days, and, and, and it's always in a bright light. I'm so glad to hear that. I mean, one of one of the phrases I came up with early on in the COVID epidemic was uh, adaptation is innovation. And I think, you know, what you're saying is that this applies so much to our world of theater and performance. So I'm, I'm, I'm very encouraged to hear you have this optimism. Now, how do we apply it? What What's going on in, in school with you guys? Uh, out there at, at Emerson, LA. Yeah, well, nobody's meeting in, in person, right? We're all doing remote learning, which was frightening in March when we mid-semester stopped having our community in person and were thrown into this thing, this platform with all the squares and boxes and all the technology, which, you know, I certainly wasn't, um, adept or proficient or comfortable with even. Um, but again, when you said it, you know, necessity, challenge, it's a, it's a teacher, te zillion teachable moments. It's a learning experience, right? And so the challenge to stay, remain, continue to be relevant is around us all the time, right? Keeps us young, keeps us vital, keeps us interested, keeps us interesting, I, I hope. So it was a great um, adaptation for students and teachers. Um, I, I had great 
um, sadness for the fact that they didn't get to have a real graduation. You know, they so really were looking forward to that. Um, but you celebrate in other, in other ways. Uh, and I, I keep reminding my students, yes, I, I know what we've given up, but we're not going back to that. Right? It's like work. My friends who work in, at big agencies, in big buildings in Beverly Hills where the rents are astronomical, are working from home and are being probably more productive because they're more focused and there's less running around trying to see who can have the most lunches in the week. And, and they're not going to go back to those buildings. We'll find new ways, we'll find new ways to, to do the work that, that we want to do. And, and so again, business, it's not just the entertainment business, it's not just the business of acting. The world has reinvented how do you continue to do what you love to do with a different challenge and yet still fulfill a need that people find interesting. Haven't there been some incredible theater productions being done on YouTube by the theater guild and the actors fund, you know, who benefit from a lot of these productions? I've seen some incredible stuff. And instead of spending, you know, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 300 bucks to sit in a theater with all those people, I get to decide how much do I want to contribute to this organization because the actors are doing it for free because they want to do what they love and they want to help the organization do what its mission is. So um, there's great stuff out there. Yeah, it is, it is a unique time, obviously. I remember early on in this when, I think we might have mentioned this on the Dr. Joe show before, but I think the Metropolitan Opera was doing a benefit um, and it was being broadcast live. Um, and there's this conductor conducting his orchestra, you know, but the orchestra is disparate. It's, you know, out of their homes. And it was remarkable the way they were organized and synchronized. But the unique thing was I was looking at the conductor. I'd never been to a concert where I'd seen the conductor's face. I've always seen their back and them moving a baton. This was unique, and this is when I had my epiphany, realized, wow, we have an opportunity here to do theater in a way that, that has never been done before. That's extraordinary. And last semester, I had my improv comedy class who were supposed to do a, a, a graduate end-of-semester performance in a theater in Los Angeles here. We did it on Zoom. And, and the challenge was that my students were everywhere from California to Istanbul, the time zones that made no sense, yet they were all there. And they did a live improv performance that was stunning, maybe more so than it would have been had we all been in, in the theater in, in Hollywood. And that, that was an epiphany for me going, wow, we can do this in other ways that really maximize the potential of all of this stuff that maybe we didn't realize the potential of before. It is remarkable. Mark, I'm just wondering from, from a legal point of view, have you guys had to do virtual closings and, and so, you know, it's, it's fascinating listening to Brad because what he's talking about is it's industry wide. It is not discriminating in any industry. 
and everybody's adapting or they're not, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it seems as though, Brad, just from sitting listening to you, I would probably label you an entrepreneur, a problem solver, you know, that type of person who's ready to adapt. You know, not everybody's adapting. I imagine there's there's peers of yours that panicked and, and weren't able to adapt and see forward. Um, but yes, Dr. Joe, obviously everything has changed. I mean, we can't do face-to-face -face interactions right now. So the ones that we have to do in Massachusetts, the notary uh, acknowledgement and these closings has to be face-to-face. -face. We're minimizing the contact. So we're utilizing Zoom, which, you know, can't say enough about Zoom 2.0, right? As opposed to the one you guys were talking about and, and minimizing the contact to as limited period of time as possible. It's also raised, it's raised another interesting point that I think is more universal. And I've been talking about this lately um, is, is it is introvert versus extrovert. Yeah. Right? Because the business of acting is an industry that is perceived by most people to be a business of extroverts. And, and, it, and it's not. And if you're an introverted person in, in a business that's perceived to be a business for extroverts, and you have to work to do that, it's exhausting. But when you think about what is the challenge for introverts, a lot of it is walking into the room and kind of taking ownership of the space. This has been very empowering to them because you're not walking in anywhere. You're clicking onto a virtual space for an audition, let's say. Right? And so it's very powerful. And, and people I know who are in therapy now are seeing their therapists virtually. And there's an intimacy that happens this way that allows stuff to flow that may take more time to get to or may have difficulty getting to at all in a space where you're actually really feeling the energy of the person in the room with you. So, you know, again, that's part of what I see as what are the lessons we're learning from this? And again, you know, I keep, I tap on the shoulder, I feel, which is, you know, yeah, there's people are really, really suffering. There's a lot of people who are struggling to adapt or who haven't had the luxury to be able to adapt. And, you know, we, we have to embrace those struggles for them and recognize that you know, we have to do what we can to just kind of make this better for them. And I'm hoping at the end of the day, you know, when all of this is in the rearview mirror, that we will be a kinder people to each other, right? Maybe that'll be the greatest lesson for all of this. It's just the understanding of listening, have a voice, let your voice be heard, and just be grateful. Dr. Joe, Brad talks about two people being intimate over Zoom. Can it seems counterintuitive because you know we're not connected, but is it because everybody's at their own home, their home space, their you know, if there's a leveraged situation, professional client or you know, interview, interviewee, is it because you feel more comfortable and secure? And so does the other person, which we've never experienced. There's always been some imbalance at a meeting, right? Yeah, I, I think absolutely. I think having, especially in, in, 
in telepsychiatry, which is what we're doing, um, the person I feel has, has been able to open up so much quicker because they're in their nest. They're in their home, their familiar surrounding. And for me as a psychiatrist, it gives me a remarkable opportunity to see their world, not just hear about their world, but to see their world. Um, but I th what this speaks to is the absolute imperative for connection, that, that we as human beings must be connected to other people. It's part of who we are as a social animal. And what we're finding is that the distance, the quote, virtual component may not matter. I mean, think about, think about letters. I mean, you know, for years, if you had a long distance romance or were, you know, had a pen pal, it was all distant. It was all virtual. You were writing something and expressing yourself and it would take time for that to get to someone else. And then they would read it and they would absorb it and they could read it again and again and again, and then write back to you. So I, I think that we are rediscovering, if you will, um, just how important this connection is and how we can do it even if we're apart. One of the things, you know, I say is, you know, social distancing is not the same as emotional distancing. We just want to be close with each other. But I want to get back to, to the business of acting with this because in the theater, there is, as we are talking earlier, that, that remarkable energy that you have when you're sitting in an audience and you're seeing a live performance, somebody right there, and at, and at the end of the performance, you get a chance to give them a round of applause. As a performer, you are adapting your performance to what you're hearing in the audience. You know, to, to, you can see, you can feel that energy. That is not accessible now to an actor, a performer. So how do we teach them that? How do we get them to, to stay with that remarkable energy, even if, even if they're not in the same room? What, what are you teaching them, Brad? Yeah, so acting is acting, right? So when you're on a movie set or you're on a television set that isn't a sitcom that's shot before in a live audience, you still have to do the work and you still have to deliver the, the product. And, and I, I mean, this, one of the things I do in my classes, because my classes are very interactive, is that I ask slash insist my students be unmuted for the entire experience so that if I should say something that might be a little cute or clever, we get to hear the ha-ha or the ah, oh, there we go again. It's the ability to create that not sense of community, but to create that real community in that space. Um, so, so you know, in some venues that works, but for, for bigger performances, you know, I think you're giving up the audience response orally live that you hear, but but you're deeping, you're diving deeper into the the intimacy, right? So, as a stage performer in a virtual on a virtual platform. You're looking at the camera. You are looking at an audience member. And so you have to remember that, you know, I'm not going to hear them respond in a way that I will recognize, but I'm connecting with them with my eyes.
They're looking at me. And so I have an ability to speak to them in a way that they will feel that I'm talking to, to them. And, and so I think, you know, maybe give up a little bit of something, but you gain something else in its place. And at the end, it's still an important, fulfilling experience. The dessert, the dessert tastes just as sweet. It's just, it's been an absurd to you on a different dish, right? Um, and I think that's great lessons for actors, right? It's, it's the ability to learn how to connect in a way where you're not in a, in a theater space. And it's exactly what my clients do and all actors do when they're on a film set or they're on location. And, you know, it's not about who's watching. It's about you know, what is happening in that performance space. And in that, I mean, it's a relationship, right? So now we're having relationships with performers uh, in a way that we didn't before. I, I think it's... I think it's resulting in deeper levels of performance and deeper takeaways for, for an audience. At least the stuff that I've seen performed that way, you know, with the theater stuff, has been just extraordinary. Brian Cranston and Sally Field did a digital via YouTube production of Love Letters in the spring. I, I've seen that show a hundred times. I had clients perform that show around the country. I know that play, but I didn't know it like this. She was in LA, he was in New York, and there they were split screen on YouTube, and what an extraordinary theater experience it, it was. So I kind of hold on to that, and I'm seeking more of that, if that's of any help. Yeah. Again, I, I am so appreciative that you see all the opportunity there. When you're teaching, you're not teaching theater classes. You're teaching the business side of this. So from a business perspective, what, what tips can you give young actors as they're entering this field? Because, you know, there's often a huge fantasy, you know, coming out of my high school performance or my college performance, and I'm going to just hit Broadway or hit L.A., what what's different now yeah well you may hit it but you know i'm not quite sure what the definition of hit might be maybe it's just everybody has their own definition um, i think that there are two lessons that i want young actors to um seek out absorb learn embrace make your own um history the lessons of history and lessons of patience um, i'm i'm finding it unsettling that so many young actors don't have a, don't have any idea of the history of this great industry they want to be in. And I think that you have to really study that in order to appreciate the opportunities that seem to be so easy and available to you now. You ought to know who the great producers, directors, performers were and what made them great. Right? And, 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 and I, I don't believe in paying dues. I believe in earning opportunity. And that's where you begin. And, and there is a, uh, an illness of impatience. Um, when many students graduate from college, um, they think that they are typically suited to be and ready to have that career and to hit right away. You know, here I am, I graduated, I'm ready. Come take me away. Um, but the fact is, those <clears throat> those 
legacy careers are earned and they're built. And, and you know, working actors, most of the people who work as actors in this industry are not the star names. They're not the names above the title. They're not the zillion dollar a movie people. They're just, they're, they're not. They're like people I represent, like actors represented at companies all over you know, New York, LA, the big performance centers who make this business run and who just kind of understand it's, it's not about job to job. While it is, it isn't. It's about the career you're building along the way. And, and, and I, I want to disconnect the search and the idea of fame and, and, this, and the seeking of and securing fame in, for young actors, because you can't, right? Fame is a byproduct of just being great at what you do and being seen as a result. And I don't know how to make somebody famous, although I represent well-known people. It wasn't anything any of us did. It was the work itself, an opportunity that the spotlight ended up coming to them. So I think the, the idea that I can hit big, I can hit right away, I can make a lot of money right away, are, are the important lessons I want young actors to embrace, right? And I want them to recognize that it is work, it's a job. Right? And, and the reason I see most young actors give up um, is they see that it's work and they're not willing to do the work. I'm willing to help them do the work. You just got to do a little bit more than me. Right? It's not going to happen on its own. So you, again, it, it, it's a simple question with a complicated answer that maybe you whittle it down to say, take a deep breath, know the industry that you want to be in. Right? You would never go into the shoe business, shoe, not show, without understanding how shoes are manufactured, right? So, so I, I think knowledge is so important. And then you have an appreciation for what you get to do. Right? You get to stand in a studio and look around and go, wow, who's been here before? You know, one of my other phrases is, I've worked hard to be this lucky. And I think that's, you know, that's what you're talking about. It's, it doesn't just happen. You know, it is hard, hard work. And then it just looks like you're just so lucky. But you know what? I, yeah. And you know what? It's not that it's hard work. Because if you're doing work you love, it's not hard. You want more and more and more of it. What it is is you just have to be willing to do the work. Yeah. Right? Somebody else may say, wow, that is hard. Right. You know, you love it, right? It's not hard. I couldn't agree more. I keep coming back to the phrases, but... You know, one of my phrases, success for me, and not for everybody, but success for me is when you love going to work and love going home. And I've, I have been blessed with that. I love going to work. Now I get to do it from home. So it's like even better. I mean, who could imagine that that would happen? I have the best commute ever. But Tommy, you want to come back on and ask Brad a few more of those things? We've fascinating idea sure uh what, what skills do you think people should learn now in the age of COVID and going forward like i read the review copy of your book and you go a lot into self-tape auditions yes so what should the new standards be for what makes a good self-tape audition instead of an audition in general because you have to combine a little bit of technical skills too you gotta figure in lighting and sound and 
you have to combine a, a, a huge, it's a huge amount of technical skill, which you are now required to really learn and know how to implement. I mean, it's, it's what I call the Hollywood hyphenate, right? So y you have to be good at, excuse my voice, you have to be good at lots of stuff. You can't just be great at the acting piece of it. You have to be actor, editor, writer, lighting person, sound person. You have to be adept at doing all of these things because the truth is that the in-room audition, particularly for the first audition, I don't think we're ever going to see that again. And so my first, among my first lessons to actors about this process, because the first is self-tape and then on a callback, you're usually on a virtual live audition that's in, um, that gets you in the room on the Zoom screen. Is I remind them, these are the lessons that harken back for me to the early 70s when I began my career in live television, is that this is broadcast, this is like live television broadcasting when you're on a platform like this. And you have to be cognizant of where are you? How are you appearing? How do you sound? How do you look? Your focus, right? Just because you are not speaking or someone else is speaking, you better know where you're looking and you better look like you're interested all the time. Like th th that's really important. But at the end of the day, your ability to be able to record on your, with either your phone or on your laptop, your audition is, is critical. So one of the great skills out of COVID for this is that if you are auditioning and putting it on tape, the person who's reading with you can't be in the room with you. And, and, and that's been a challenge. So I have encouraged actors to make copies of the size or their scripts, email them to a friend, get the friend on the speakerphone on your iPhone or your Android, put it down near your camera, and let them read to you with with it being on speakerphone. So it gives you some give and take, right? And and you're keeping completely safe um, in, in all of that. And and it's it is a new world, right? It started before COVID, and it's it's going to continue to excel. Here's the good news about all of that, and I need to say this, is that before all of this, a casting director could maybe see 10 to 15 actors in their office in an hour. Now they're seeing 50 or 60 via self-tape. So for those of us who represent talent, we're seeing that net has been cast so much wider. I see it in my office that clients who normally wouldn't make the cut for an audition for a certain role because of whatever are now getting those opportunities and in some cases booking those roles because the casting director has the luxury of, of seeing more people. They have the comfort of the space they are in. They're not traffic cops bringing actors in or out. It's been a really great time for actors to be seen and for more actors to be seen more often. So there's a lot of answers in there to, a, to your question, uh, but it's work. That's the whole thing. You know, that's the conversation about doing doing the work. That, that's, that's part of it. Acting is a teeny percent of the job that you will do when you're a professional actor or you're wanting yeah. to be a professional actor. There's a lot, there's a lot of, uh, like you said, hyphens. And yeah. I think that it's a good thing. You need to be curious. In mm -hmm. entertainment, the worst thing that you can have is a lack of curiosity. 
especially oh. if you're a writer and especially if you're an actor because without curiosity you have no empathy yeah how do exactly. you build a character if you can't identify with another person well that's true and that's why as you get older as an actor you become a better actor because living life you add color to the play-by-play -play of facts it's not just about you know, how old are you? How tall are you? What do you do for a living as the character you're playing? The more you live and the more experience you have, you're able to understand the nuances and bring those to any character, even, even if it's a character who's in a supermarket going, you know, you want paper or plastic. I know I don't care what the role is. What I care is that you have the ability to create the essence of a character it doesn't matter that we're seeing that character on screen for this amount. The character had a life before. It, he or she will go on to have a life after. And it's about understanding. That's acting. That, that's really acting. Yeah, it's being a character, not a caricature. Really, those those decisions. You know, this, this does get into the last few minutes of the show. You know, we have... The Dr. Joe show is based on the I am approach. The idea that we're always doing the best we can at every moment in time, our current maximum potential with the potential to change in the very next second. And because we're influenced by four domains, your home domain, the social domain, the biological domain of your brain and body, and what I call the I see. How do I see myself? How do I think other people see me? We have these four domains because they connect, small changes can have big effects. You don't need to change everything. We've had a small change in COVID with huge effects. So Brad, I ask all my guests this towards the end of the show, what small change can you recommend to our listeners so that they can perhaps use your business of acting, maybe even in their everyday life? Um, listen to each other. When you ask someone, how are you? Listen to the answer. But listen, because I think that we have had an epidemic of disconnect in our world, right? That's, that's the result of this. Yeah. And I see this, this time as an opportunity to put away the electronics and, and, and reconnect or connect for the first time with people you haven't ever or in a long time. And that can be your spouse, your partner, your best friends, your kids, your relatives, uh, because I think you know, at the end of the day, are we recognizing that we all want to be heard? We all want to be recognized, and, and not for great things, but just for who we are, just that we're here. Yes. Yeah. I, I, and I agree. We all want the same thing, which is just to feel valued by somebody else. And at every moment, we can remind someone of their value. And whenever you do that, you increase your own value, which gets to the second rule and the truth of the I am. Everyone's got an I am. Everyone is interested in what you think or feel about them. And because you're part of someone's home or social domain, this means you control no one, but you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Brad Lamack, author of Business of Acting, what kind of influence do you want to be? Mm, I want to be an influence of positivity, of forward thinking, forward moving, lessons learned from what happened before, but not ever lingering in the rearview mirror. 
we always have the ability to achieve something new that we're benefiting from stuff we've learned before. So I, I, I think bigger picture, you know, for me, that's, I hope that I can help move that forward. And, and through this book, Business of Acting, you have influenced so many people. How do they get the book? Real quick. Uh, you can go to my website, which is thebusinessofacting.com. It'll take That's, you to it. <laughs> Businessofacting.com. Folks, it's been a great show. Brad, it's so wonderful to see you again, my brother. Thank you so uh, much. I've so, I've loved this opportunity to chat with, with you and to be a Thank you. Thank you, and stay safe. Wonderful, wonderful. Folks, we'll see you back here at the Dr. Joe Show next week. Ben, you take care. And Timmy, always good to see you. All right. Thank you, Brad Lamack. Thanks, Brad. Hi, everyone.